The holidays are almost here, and that means you're about to get a heck of a lot busier. And the data reflects what you know to be true. Prior to COVID, Yelp observed a 17% increase in diners seated from October to December over the prior quarter. And that was before everyone was trapped in their houses for over a year. Capitalize on that increased demand this holiday season with the all-new Yelp Guest Manager. Yelp Guest Manager allows you to manage your guest reservations and your waitlist all in one place. Better yet, it's fee-free until February of 2022 with an annual agreement. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast to learn more today. Now here we go. The discipline in this company in the first 27 years before I got here was about people and culture and really growing at a rate that allowed for the culture to expand and for the people to grow with it. It was not really about the dollar. And I think in many cases, people make financial decisions and try to chase them versus being true to the core of what Dutch, and in this case, what Dutch Bros was about, which was really building off of a core value, which was people and culture that allowed them to make the right choices for how they were expanding across the West Coast. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. We've spent the last 15 months together questioning every assumption about this industry. What I've learned from more than 100 interviews is that a 6% net profit doesn't need to be the standard. I've collected the best practices from the best operators in the world and created a guide detailing the five steps they've all taken to achieve a 15% net profit in their restaurants. You can download that guide for free by visiting restaurantprofitguide.com. Again, that's restaurantprofitguide.com. Over 100,000 restaurants were lost in the pandemic, and there's so much we can learn from that. But there are also organizations that thrive during the pandemic. What did they do differently? What did they see that so many didn't? Today, we chat with Joth Ricky of Dutch Bros, who saw opportunity in tragedy and used the pandemic as a catalyst to build the coffee shop of tomorrow today. I've had an amazing run, you know, loaded with various experiences that I've been a part of for now almost a 30-year career. So I spent 10 years in consumer products working for Johnson & Johnson and, you know, really cut my teeth in sales and marketing, working with the customer directly, traveling all over the country, living all over the place. And really every opportunity that was presented to me, I just kind of took it and went with it. And uh, I was living in Philadelphia late 2000s with two little kids and decided that I'm originally an Oregonian and I wanted to raise my kids and my wife and I wanted to come back to Oregon and do that. So I kind of started my career over in my early 30s and got lucky enough to be hired on to a big beverage distribution company. I learned so much about different beverage categories and business and distribution and all different elements of that company that propelled me into some leadership roles in beverage over the last 12 years. I was the CEO at Jones Soda. I work for a private equity kind of investment banking and consulting firm out of LA called First Beverage Group, which led me to Stumptown Coffee, where I got my first chance to kind of run retail and consumer product and look at a multi-channel business. And then that led me to back into the wine industry, which I'd done through distribution and had a great run in working with a 
longtime wine company, which led me to Dutch Bros. And over the last 20 years, I've basically been working with founders. Every company I've worked for has been a founder-led company, and I have been the first person to come in and actually lead, kind of taking over from the founders. So I've learned a lot of lessons as far as kind of people building ground-up businesses and then kind of transitioning them to maybe bigger companies or bigger brands. When you look at all of the founders together, are there any universal qualities that they all possess? One is they're all really successful founder is, is obviously defined by being a great entrepreneur because in every case they started with something that was nothing. And then they had a vision. In many cases, a great founder has a great vision, has a great idea of where they want to go, understands not just their brand, but also the, let's call it the white space opportunity that that's created, whether it's a category, whether it's an industry, whether it's a consumer, every founder has a vision of where things can go. And I think in many cases, part of why I've been asked to come in is that in many cases, a founder kind of gets stuck where they know the vision, they know what they want to do, but then they kind of like Maybe get to the end of the road and not really sure about what the next thing they need to go do and how to lead their people to do that. So that's typically where I've come in. In doing a bunch of research for the interview, I saw a lot of that, that strategy is your sweet spot. And so I guess my question would be when it comes to strategic planning, what is the lens through which you look? What is your viewpoint that you think makes you exceptional in that particular area? Because I would argue most founders struggle with strategic planning. I'd say that's true because they don't necessarily have the discipline to get it there. A lot of founders are led by great ideas and they've spent a lot of time convincing people along the way that their idea matters. And then I think good strategy comes down to good discipline and really defining who you are and what it is you want to go do. Because I think every strategic point really comes down to what is it that you're trying to accomplish. And I think in whether it was Stumptown Coffee or whether it was here at Dutch Bros or at Adelsheim, I think in those three cases, it was really getting some clear definition about what exactly was it that we were signing up to go do and what was the next thing. And I think if you're clear on that, that gives you a starting point to grow. But many people skip that step and they try to think about all the activities around it versus the very clear line of what is it that I'm trying to accomplish. And I think if you start every strategic session with that thing in mind, and it could only be a couple of sentences, but if everybody's grounded in that, your strategy will start to unfold if everybody's clear on what that is. As you entered the role of Dutch Bros, and you were an outsider looking in, what are the qualities that you think enabled that company to grow to over 300 locations before you took the big chair? Yeah, I mean, kudos to the thousands of people that have been part of this brand way before May. And I think there was a very much a disciplined approach to growth. I think there was a disciplined approach to not selling the rights to big franchisees and just kind of exploding the brand because the discipline in this company in the first 27 years before I got here was about people and culture and really growing at a rate that allowed for the culture to expand and for the people to grow with it. It was not really about the dollar. And I think in many cases, people make financial decisions and try to chase them versus being true to the core of what Dutch, and in this case, what Dutch Bros was about, which was really building off of a core value, which was people and culture that allowed them to make the right choices for how they were expanding across the West Coast. For the cynics that are listening, though, when you look at the failure rate that you see in the food and beverage industry, and you've also worked for so many other operators. Is it core values that enables ships like this to sail the way they do? 
or is it something else? And the reason I ask is, again, with such a high failure rate, there's got to be a secret sauce, not just to the people that survive right? Because there are plenty of folks out there like that. But again, over 300 locations to really thrive. So I didn't say core values for a reason, because I think core values are an outcome of a good vision and discipline. I think that what happens is that people get restless and they really skip steps of development of a brand. And again, we're talking about 27 years and 300 plus locations. It's a very specific, disciplined approach with a very disciplined way of growth and thinking about that. And so I think core values are an outcome of who you are. I think that the idea of keeping things simple, understanding what you're good at, and go be the best in the world at what that is. I think a lot of people get stuck by the shiny light and they start getting distracted or they want to do other things, which takes them off of who they are originally. And you've got to stay focused on that thing. And I know it sounds really simplified, but if you attempt to be the best in the world at that one thing, those are usually the people who do really well. If you start to get too scattered and you start to think about, oh, we could do this or we could do that or we could try that. I think that's where you can get tripped up and lose focus on who you are. So I'm assuming you took that focus into the role when you took over at the top of 2019. But the goal, at least publicly, was for you to take over and grow the company to 800 locations in five years. And I'm curious to know, with that discipline, with that focus, what was your plan in the early days to make that happen? Well, the thing about Dutch is that we had a great, as you mentioned earlier, we had a great foundation to build from. So it was about like, what were we missing? And from an outsider coming into Dutch Bros, one of the things I found is that nobody really knew much about the company. We didn't really know like what this business was about. And as I got in here, there were several areas that we identified. One was like, what was our technology capabilities? I mean, how are we advancing with technology, not just on the outside to the customer, but also on the inside and how we were running the business? I think two was we had to look at our leadership and potential of, okay, the company had gotten so far, what did we need to augment the talent at Dutch Bros with in order to grow it? And we had opportunities in our marketing department, we had opportunities in some of the tech side and finance side of our business that was a little bit less about being at the window with the customer, but more about the back end as far as scaling a business and growing it. Three, we had to educate. We had to really train and train up some of the skill sets that we had internally in order to grow and move from a franchise model to a company-owned model so that we could build the systems to do that. And so there were lots of things. And there was tech platform, there were people, there was scale, there was kind of white space opportunities and identifying what that looked like, which helped us get to the 800. So yeah, there are many, many things that kind of hit those first couple of years of a business plan. Well, and in that you basically, you had a little more than a year between assuming the role and a global pandemic. Were you able to achieve traction in any of those areas within that time frame, that limited scope? Yeah, I think we went hard right out of the gate. So I was lucky enough to meet Trav six, seven months before I started, actually. So I had a pretty good runway to kind of set the stage for a lot of working with him and the leadership team on kind of building out that 800 shops and kind of what our strategic plan was going to look like. So when I came in in January of 19, I was able to kind of hit the ground running by starting to implement the things we wanted to do. And then We opened 42 locations that first year, which was the largest. It was the most amount of locations the company had ever opened in one year. 
but we had kind of set that really kind of early in middle of 18, really to get that done. And then we started to really accelerate. So we started with an ERP system. We started to build our tech stack. We started to look for resources like our CFO and a CMO to be able to come in and help augment that. But having clear line of sight for the things we wanted to accomplish really helped to keep me kind of focused and disciplined on the things we needed to get done to accelerate. And then who knew March of 2020 would happen? And then it was kind of game on from there. Well, let's talk about that. So the pandemic hits. Lord knows there have been countless shows, and I was certainly one of the people that tried to cover it. All of the pandemic pivots and all of those things. But now we certainly haven't seen our way out of it, but we're much closer. I'd like to take like a reflective perspective and ask, how did the pandemic change the way you see your role within this company and the way you see your role as a leader? Yeah, it was what an awesome experience. I will tell you that. I mean, one that nobody teaches you how to do, there's no training for it, right? It just happened. Trav and I went for a walk probably right around April 1st of 2020 and everything's going down and like what's going on around us. And I looked at him and I said, we have about six weeks here. And I said, the six weeks, there's never been a time in our history where change wasn't more allowed than maybe right now. I said, so if we don't seize this opportunity to think about the company, to think about maybe the last 10 years of what were the things that you've always wanted to change that you never really got around to or didn't feel like it was right, now's the time to do it. What ways could we improve the company? How could we shift the way that we talked about it? Like, how could we embrace this as we had been, we were going to stay open, we were drive through and really had been deemed an essential business in all of our markets just due to our the way that we operated. I said, now's our time. And so we really spent about six weeks there, honestly, almost reinventing what was a very successful business and taking it and literally creating 2.0 in a very short period of time there. So while we were keeping things open, staying safe, we were also thinking about what changes could we make? How could we move forward? What did we want to look like a year from now? And really credit to Trav, you know, a founder of being willing and open to make those changes. And then also just working with our leadership team to execute. And then everybody embraced it. And we dove in and dove in hard and made some decisions at that time that will affect this company for a very long time. And then looking internally, did it change you internally as well? Did you... In, during that a period leader. of reflection? Yeah. Yeah, you How bet. So? I became a better leader. When you're faced with that type of challenge, I think being faced with that level of a situation where there was health involved, there was safety, there was a lot of uneasiness and people were scared and people not knowing. I think you learn a lot about like, don't overreact, like have a good plan, stay disciplined to who you are. I've always been about don't be too high and don't be too low and managing emotion during that time. Because while everything else is kind of chaotic around you, I think great leadership needs to come in and provide a steady hand that people can follow. And I think that that, for me, it was just reinforcing to get even better at that. I mean, I actually pulled up the book Art of War, which is about a disciplined look, right, that was done basically by Chinese and the way that the different people looked at discipline and playbooks around the world and actually went back to that book and read it while we were going through the pandemic to keep myself very focused and disciplined on the very specific tactics that we needed to have in order to execute and keep the business open. I also, at that time, I went back and really educated myself. 
I read a book on the Spanish flu and I read the history of the Spanish flu so that, again, I could be better educated on all the noise that was going on around us. I wanted to see how other pandemics had unfolded and how things were reacted. Even though it was 100 years ago, there were a lot of similarities to things that had happened. And I just needed to be better educated so I had a better opinion so that I could lead from that versus being driven or uneducated about things around me. And then the last thing was that I was very clear with our team is that we weren't in the business of health. We're not in the business of creating the rules. Like what we're going to do is allow for the people who are in charge to make the rules. We're a big enough business. We go pretty broad and we got to follow them. And we're going to be best in class at following what the local health authorities asked us to do. And we were going to lead by example and do a great job of that. And our people really, they followed it, they absorbed it and did a phenomenal job of executing that. In 2020, the number of people using food delivery and delivery services surged by 30%. And as a restaurant owner, it's crucial to have the ability to meet guests where they are. That's where Pop Menu comes in. Pop Menu gives restaurant owners the tools they need to transform their website by simplifying ordering and delivery. Pop Menu will build your restaurant a website that's designed to engage guests, showcasing photos and reviews. But Pop Menu is much more than an online menu. Leverage this powerful tool to streamline your ordering experience, no matter how you do business. Do more with a platform that facilitates in-house delivery, curbside pickup, and contactless ordering. Do business your way. Popping you can take your restaurant to the next level. And for a limited time, Full Comp listeners get $100 off their first month. Plus, lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Head over now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash full comp. Again, that's popmenu.com slash full comp. Has education, self-education, or mentorship played a role throughout your career? Actually, my degree is in education. I just wanted to be a teacher. And so I have just continuous education has always been something that not only I believed in for myself, but I've also, I lead with that. I lead as an educator. I, I actually call my companies my classroom. And so I think a lot of ways when I come in, I'm helping to grow and build a whole team through a lens of education. So we do a lot of that here at Dutch now. So let's talk about that six weeks where you guys were able to create the Dutch Bros 2.0. What were the evolutions that came out of those conversations that you guys are still doing today? Well, I think the big one was we eliminated our historic, our stamp card. So the buy 10, get one free program. It was legacy. It was built in the Dutch Bros culture. People thought we would never be able to get rid of it. And we actually eliminated it because we just didn't want any anything handed off between the broista and the customer. And so we took the opportunity to sunset the stamp card. And then we plowed into digital. We plowed into digital in a big way. And we took about what was probably going to be a two or three year project. And we did it in about seven, eight months. And really, which allowed us to launch our rewards program on February 1st of this year. We have almost 3 million people signed up on the app this year alone and have really moved to an entire digital interface that completely replaced our entire old promotional program that's now been replaced by a digital connection with the customer. And I'd say that was the big one. I think that our communication has gotten a lot better through HQ. Our communication to the field has improved dramatically since COVID really started. And what we found is just our succinct, well-organized, great communication and how much each one of our shops appreciated that. 
our franchisees appreciated that. We just got much better and more succinct about how we were communicating, giving good information and giving good action items from that as well. I think that if you can, from a lens of Grants Pass, Oregon, and now having to communicate out to 16,000 people, you know, it's a big change for us in the last couple of years with our growth. Let's also talk about some of the things that you guys have done exceptionally well, especially over the last 12 to 18 months. And the first is data collection. You mentioned the loyalty program, but you guys are collecting data in a variety of ways. So can you talk about the programs and the promotions that you use to capture that data and what the customers get in exchange for doing it? This was not a data-heavy business, even when I got here three years ago. I mean, we really didn't have a strong POS system. We didn't have a good ERP system that was gathering for BI tools and things of that nature. And certainly we were doing this promotional activity with a paper stamp card that we weren't learning anything from it. The only data we had was from collecting credit card information. You fast forward three years later, we're taking things like the rewards app. 52% of our business is now transacted through the app. And so we're getting this opportunity to learn day parts, to learn multiple drink purchases, to learn categories and customer segmentation and what they want and how they do things. And we've just gotten so much smarter in a pretty short period of time, but, and also putting a good team around it to get that data. We've also invested in tools on the real estate end as we make location. We start thinking about where we want to be and where we want to do our business with real estate. We've invested in some really amazing tools and worked hard on putting the inputs in that we need to make good decisions on real estate. And I think that has a lot to do with some of the success we're having in new markets like Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico, as we've um, exceeded our expectations on the customer response, as we've seen in all those markets. But I think a lot of it has to do with now we're smarter about our customer. We understand the customer journey better through those tools. We've invested in tools on the upfront end to make good real estate decisions to help us evaluate our white space and where we need to go. It's also helped us look at infill opportunities in our existing territory where we were pretty excited about having these really big locations with long lines when I got here. And now I think we've shifted and shifted a lot of mindsets about, hey, how about we have a couple of locations that do more volume in a market? They give a better customer experience that allow for the municipalities, the cities, the customer, everybody around us to have a more pleasant occasion at Dutch Bros. So data has informed all of that. And so I think we've gone from data poor to data rich in three years. And But you got to put the right team and resources around it to know how to use those things. And I think you're catering to two very different customers, right? Because I think that for restaurants by and large, there are two very different customers. The one that prizes an incredibly hospitable experience. And then there's also the customer that just wants it. They want it now and they want to be able to go on their way. And in creating these dual models, you're able to service both in the way that they want to engage with your restaurant, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think anybody has to understand, I mean, back to the disciplines at the beginning, like what's your business and do you understand what you're trying to accomplish? I think for us, we purposely don't have an order ahead program. We really would prefer not to do business with delivery opportunities. And I think that's really counter to what a lot of the industry is going through, which is order ahead, pick up, delivery. And what we're really going to maintain is the experience and the experience that we're a service model. And we want to be the best in class service model in the world. We want to create a great experience. We want to give you the drink that you're looking for. 
we understand, we want the customer to understand what they should expect when they come in. But if a customer is looking for a head down experience that's quick, Dutch Bros may not be the right thing for them. And nor do we think it's probably best for our business model to be adapting. So we're going to be very conscious of what's happening out in the world with the customer, but also we're not going to try to be all things to all people because I think that that's how you've watered down your experience and you don't stay true to who you are. And I think to be a great business, you need to stay true to who you are because that's what gets you excited and how you get out of bed every morning to deliver. So I think one message to everybody out there is like, be really good at who you are and understand that there's just things that you're not going to be able to do. Be careful about that. Well, and I think that it's hard, right? Because there's so much fear wrapped up in potentially turning down business. You talk to so many entrepreneurs, regardless of industry, and you'll say, hey, who's your target customer? Everybody. Everybody's my target customer. But it's hard to be exceptional. And I would argue that where we find ourselves, and I think you guys are a great example of this, is the only way to truly thrive and to scale and to scale at the level that you have is by being exceptional for only your target customer, for the people where, you know, to bring back values, where your values align with their values. Yeah, I think you're right on. To anybody, it's, you just can't be all things to all people. I think in any business that you're in, especially in a small to mid-sized business, I think you have to be super focused on what you are. And there's so many things that will entice you to try to be something different. Now you need to adapt and you need to understand how your business adapts to what's happening around you. And I think that our app and our rewards program is a really good example of that. But it didn't steer us away from being a fun-loving, mind-blowing company, making a massive difference one cup at a time. And so in order to have that mission statement, we have to understand who we are and who we aren't. So I think you start doing too much and you get death by a thousand cuts and you just have to be careful. Let's talk about that massive difference that you're trying to make because impact is central to the mission of the company. Can you share all of the ways Dutch Bros is working to contribute to the communities that you serve? Yeah, I mean, it's been part of this company from day one. We talk a lot about being big and being small. And so we can be big and be small at the same time. And one of the ways you can be small is through philanthropy. This year alone, we'll give between 3 and $4 million away through our different philanthropic programs through the Dutch Bros Foundation. We have three main programs that we operate off of. We do a food insecurity program in February. We have an ALS research to support our co-founder who passed away of ALS in 2009. And then we have a program called Buck for Kids, where we support local kids programs in every community that we're in across the region. And those are just our big programs. And then on a local level, we actually ask every operator and franchisee to be engaged in hopefully two to three different local engagements. And we have a percent of sales that we have a goal to give away every year. What was cool about that is last year during COVID, we went back to who the company is and we gave away over $2 million to a program called First Responders First, which provided PPP to first responders across the country. And it was a no-brainer for us because that's who we were. And it also changed the dialogue at the window where people were saying, so how come you guys are open? It all of a sudden went to, well, we're giving all profits for the month of April to support gear for first responders. And anybody who's a Dutch Bros customer understands that we do a lot in philanthropy. And, and all of a sudden, it changed the whole dialogue from, oh, now I understand why you're open, because you're open because you're helping community. And that's a program that we'll continue to work with. And even through the recent event with the IPO, we donated a percentage of 
all the funds we raised are going to our foundation to help local communities. So for the folks listening and for me as well, I'm super curious, how can you afford to do that? You know, there are these grand stereotypes. The hospitality industry runs on razor thin margins. And so many of the folks listening are just trying to pay their rent, right? So they could probably use a little charity. And Lord knows I've been there myself. And so how do you bake it into your revenue model? So I think good philanthropy and good social impact is part of your brand awareness and marketing. So in any company I've been in, I actually believe that good philanthropy is great messaging and it's a way to engage back in community. So I would tell you that our marketing dollars are a lower percentage than maybe other people in the industry because we've shifted those dollars into awareness around give back programs. So when I look at our brand and how I look at brand promotion, 25% of what we do for our brand is done through social impact and philanthropy as far as messaging, programming, the activities that we're doing. And that's how I think you have to think about it. Don't think about it as just this thing we have to do or this donation that we make. Like you think about how you incorporate it into your brand, into the fabric of your customer and utilize that. So not only are you spending money to engage with the customer, but you're also doing something good for the community. And whether that's a $100 donation you make or a thousand, or in our case, we get to do nice six figure programming now to give back to people. But I think you make it as part of your marketing. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Oh, lots of them. We're in this really weird employment time, right? Like lots of noise about hiring and wages. And I think the industry is getting somewhat of a bad rap as far as a place to work and things like that. I think as employers, if we're going to attract the right talent and attract people who want to come to work for us, I think that you have to look in the mirror and say, are we providing the best environment for our employees? Or are we just trying to hire people to work? And if you provide a great environment for your employees, you're going to provide a great environment for your customer. And the customer is going to want to come back and support you. Because I think that at the end of the day, service matters to everybody. I don't care what business you're in. Anything that's in a customer-facing business, service always wins. But it's up to us as an industry and as employers to make that environment great for this new line of workforce that's coming in that may not think that the jobs that we offer are all that sexy. But we can change that if we give them a good environment to be a part of. So I think that's one. I think two is if you hear from me loud and clear, it's to everybody in the industry. Be very clear about who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. I know I said it earlier, but I think that that goes for any business. But I find so many people, if I ask them, like, what's your mission? They can't tell me or they're not clear about it. And if they're not clear about it, then that means your employees aren't clear about it which means that the customers don't know who they're engaging with and, and what they want to be a part of. Because I think a customer just wants to be a part of something and you give them the opportunity to do that. That's Joth Ricky. For more on Dutch Bros, visit dutchbros.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.